Welcome to I'm Absolutely Fine, the podcast from the middle that looks at all the glamour and indignity of being a grown-up. Maybe you're bored with all the menopause chat, or maybe you're on your knees and don't know what on earth is going on. Too young to be menopausal, right? Too young to be this tired. These aren't menopause symptoms anyway, are they? Or are they? There's so much noise, but where are the answers? Well, two women have decided to cut through the noise and offer a hyper-personalised, I mean imagine, service that aims to create a new gold standard in menopause care. WomanWise launched in January this year and is a women's healthcare company dedicated to improving women's health as they go through the perimenopause, the menopause and beyond. Using targeted at-home genetic and biochemistry testing, as well as extensive symptom and lifestyle analysis, WomenWise unlocks in-depth information to empower women around their personal midlife health. They have drawn on the latest evidence-based menopause science to provide women like us with detailed insights and plans of action. No more one-size-fits-all approach. So we are delighted that they are sponsoring this podcast and that they made us do all the tests and fill in all the forms (laughs) and that we now know a lot more about ourselves, our systems, our symptoms and all the possibilities. WomenWise costs £599 for the proprietary testing, bespoke report and 12 months of support. Go to womenwise.health for all the details. For once, it's all about you. Hi everyone, I'm Annabelle and I'm absolutely fine, but my boiler has broken maybe five times in the last, what, Emily, six weeks? Yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, the plumber is now just doing pity visits and not even charging me. (laughs) I love the idea that the plumber's got a pity face. That's like just so depressing. (laughs) And he keeps saying things like, this is just bad luck. And it's made me very paranoid so I get up in the morning and I feel the radiator and I come into the house and I feel the radiator and and Emily just said to me you know so so is your boiler fixed and I said very fatalistically it is for now (laughs) anyway I'm Emily and um, I'm absolutely fine but this morning I gave someone a lift to the tube because of the snow and because I was in such a tearing hurry I forgot to um, take a coat and I had put my Birkenstocks on without any socks because I thought I was just literally driving anyway in the end I ended up walking out to the tube station and back and I bumped into an old friend um which is not the moment and she leaned forward she obviously was wearing an umbrella or a coat a scarf boots really sensible and she leaned forward she went Emily are you okay and I thought oh my god I obviously look fucking mental and then she said I just thought maybe you'd been wandering around (laughs) all night like this and I was like oh my god I'm on a list Annabelle you're on the worry list she thinks you're that person and <laughs> can I just ask you a question have you not seen her for maybe 15 years or more because there was a time no when that was a puzzle no I only saw her like a month ago I'm really like I was really kind of taken aback by how like obviously insane I look yeah you're on the one so to was, watch list I'm on the one to watch list so there I am um anyway we are suckers for a solution story here at the Mid-Alt. A grown-up woman who had a problem and thought, you know what, I'm not going to wait for some fucker to fix it. I'm just going to do it myself. This is true of today's guest. Joanna Jensen suffered from eczema as a child and when her own children were born with the same condition, she decided enough is enough. 
In 2010, she created Child's Farm from her kitchen table. And by the end of the decade, it was the UK's number one baby and child brand. She sold it to Cussons for 37 million last year. Afraid we should all do a little dance right now. Anyway, it might sound like an enviably smooth ride, but like all of these stories, it is full of bumps, lumps, divorced, undiagnosed menopause and other crisis. Now we are delighted to have Joanna here today. Joanna, how are you? I'm absolutely fine, thank you, Emily. However, I had a dodgy manicure and the result of this dodgy manicure means I have got five very stunted fingernails on each hand because I was given a fungal infection on every single hand. And as my GP said to me, oh, I've never seen anything quite so bad in my life, which was about, you know, okay, thanks. That's making me feel even better. So I am now, having been so proud of my beautiful nails, because I always had such beautiful nails, I now have these little stunted things, which the nails are crumbling and there's a sort of bit of very dry and sort of yucky looking skin. And the moral of this story is if you go and have a manicure, make sure that they open all the bits and bobs in front of you so you know they're sterilised and bring your own nail file. Because what I was told is clearly it went from nail to nail to nail to nail. I can't tell you, it's utterly revolting. And um, I, I can't even pick my nose. I mean, no, that's how bad it is. That's a tragedy. Seriously. So hang on, so you can get an infection from a, not even from one of the sharpie, pointy, scary things, but from a nail file? Yeah, because if you think about it, if somebody's had a, you know, I mean, this is sort of fungus the bogeyman type bleh, um, infection. <laughs> you go from one nail to the next nail to the next nail to the next nail, and you know what it's like, you chit-chat, chit-chat, ooh, where are you going on holiday this year, Annabelle? <laughs> oh, well, you know, that kind of thing. Or, oh, Emily, gosh, interesting shoe wear. Are you, you have okay? these conversations. <laughs> Are you okay? And and you're chit-chatting, chit-chatting. You're on your phone. You're miles away. And then the next thing you know, you think, gosh, aren't they pretty in painters? And then the next thing you know, your nails are lifting. And oh. I never thought it would happen to me. Does it hurt? <laughs> the wor- uh, no, it just looks gopping. And will they ever grow back? Well, I've got to stop Googling it because um, <laughs> some of them say, your nails will grow back, but they'll never be the same. Oh, stop it. Also, the worst thing is, is that, you know, like we talk so much about the kind of sort of little indignities, but when you're actually going to get a manicure, you feel like that's one of the moments where you're actually put together. Because I always look at people with manicures and think, you fucker, you've got no one stopping you in the street and saying, are you okay? (laughs) I agree. It looks like a sign of sort of robust time management and mental health in some way. Exactly. A decent manicure is a power tool. Yes. You know, you can do anything, but you swoop in with those glossy nails and, oh my God, boss bitch. <laughs> well, speaking of boss bitch, Joanna Let's Jensen. hear it. I mean, so it sounds as though you had a, a little girl with very painful eczema that you'd also been through as a child. In fact, hadn't your mother brewed up lotions and potions to try and help you? Yeah, well, mum was, even though mum worked for the NHS, she was a bit of a sort of wacky backy child. And she was a great believer in natural medicine. And so everything that we had from raised hip cough syrup to when we had a cold, she used to rub the soles of our feet with cloves of garlic and then hang it above the bed. <laughs> Just thinking about it now, it's a little fucked up, isn't it? Um, but... <laughs> the vampires are coming, but anyway. Sleep well, darling. She... <laughs> See you in the morning. <laughs> Um, so she, she, she was always using really wonderfully soothing, natural shea butter, cocoa butter on our skin because the Egyptians used that thousands of years ago. 
And um, having recently been to Egypt, I mean, they seem to do everything well before we were still dribbling whilst they were sort of building the most amazing pyramids and gold chairs. And yeah, so she always encouraged us to go natural. We were we went to the homeopath if we felt poorly, you know, bark rescue remedy. I think she drank quite a lot of that. It's only recently I discovered how much alcohol is in it. Um, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> just, just a quick squirt. You know, it was just it was a sort of natural way of doing things, and it was so shocking when little bells turned up in uh, two thousand and eight with really bad eczema. Nothing had moved on since I'd be a wee, been a wee bound in the seventies. And it was all um, it was all sort of emollients and steroid cream. And I looked at my perfectly formed little child and I thought, I'm not going to slap that on you. So decided in a fit of pique to come up with my own formulas. So you were working in banking at the time, is that right? Yeah, well, actually, I, I had given up banking with the birth of my first child. And I was doing all sorts of odds and sods. I was breeding horses. We had this sillyly big house, which actually cost an arm and a leg. I mean, every time you turn the heating on, it sort of inhaled about two million pounds. So I was sort of running the house as a B&B. I was doing weddings there. I mean, honestly, it was a bit like Faulty Towers. And, you know, my poor ex-husband, here's a clue, used to come home at the end of the week and I'd say, I've rented out our bedroom. Uh, you can't go there. Uh, we're in the cottage and um, therefore, so we're going to put you up. And so he weirdly used to spend less and less time coming home. Um, but it was, we'd had a sort of tricky financial time. So it was just, I then decided, right, you know, actually, if I can create something for my kid that works, it's going to work for other people's kids and bang, bang, bang. And then the next thing I know, this sort of tidal wave of everything happened there is something isn't there about being your own first customer oh god yeah do you know interestingly enough and and this is this little group that sahar hashimi has set up the by women built which is just a phenomena she she asked every woman and there's about 400 of them why did you set up your business and these are all consumer brands 99 percent of them are saying it's because there was a need there was something they needed and they couldn't find so they set something up their brands were created before their own personal need. And that's exactly what I did. And I just couldn't believe that no one had done this. But it was in a it was a really dusty category. Baby and child was dominated by Johnson's baby and, you know, baby dove and matey. I suppose when you're starting a business, you know, from the proverbial kitchen table, what makes you think that you can? I mean, so many of us are so plagued with, oh, no, it's other people that start business. It's, it's, they're mm. called entrepreneurs. It couldn't possibly be me. A blind faith. And I think we all suffer from imposter syndrome, which is such a silly, silly name, isn't it? It's a silly label. It's just we all so randomly, and I don't know whether this is because we're British or what, but we just all sort of think, oh, no, I couldn't possibly do it. Oh, no, that's sort of, other people do that sort of thing. But other people go to the loo too. You know, it's it's this kind of... My mother always used to say this sort of... Even the Queen has a poo, darling. <laughs> I don't know what it is. And yet Beyonce launches something and everyone goes, oh, gosh, she's so brilliant. Oh, God, that's going to be a wonderful success. But one of us does it. And you know that everyone's slyly saying behind their hand, oh, it'll be a disaster. She won't make a penny out of it. Never mind, bless her. Let's just sort of be very supportive openly. I don't know why we're not like that. I think we are, you know, inability to say that we're good at something is part of it. You know, we need to dial up our inner Americans. I mean, you know, they they seem to be fearless and capable of doing absolutely anything because they've got this mindset, which is, I believe in me. 
And it's like that wonderful thing that when, unless you love yourself, how are you going to know how to love somebody else? And so it's one of those things I believe in me. And I think, frankly, I was so strapped for cash. I had two small children. You know, life was just a little bit fraught. Never saw my husband, which is sort of quite understandable when there was never a bed for him. But, you know, all of these things manifested themselves. And I grasped at this olive branch and I thought, I can do this and I'm going to make this so. And then because I am a woman who is very proud and, you know, my ex-husband said to me when I was looking at cow shed stuff, I said, why don't they do this for, for kids? And he said, well, if you think you can do a better job, do it yourself. Well, I mean, you know, that was immediately I flicked a V-sign at him and I thought, well, fuck you. Yes, I will, actually. Thank you very much. And part of my drive is people doubting me and I want to prove them wrong, which is pathetic. It's so pathetic. But what it should be is my belief in myself. But, you know, you're outwardly, you'll say, oh, everyone says, God, you're so confident. She's so, yeah, wow, she's just, oh, go, go, go. And then I'll sort of go back into my little closet and just go, oh, fuck, that was quite frightening. But I've got better at it now because I actually do kind of believe I can do stuff. But then I just giggle behind my hand thinking, yeah, no, it's all, well, wake up in a minute and it'll all be a load of old nonsense and just be rubbish. Do you know, my, one of my oldest friends is that lovely author, Charlie Mackesy. And when it all gets too much for him, he goes and hides in the loo. And I don't do that. And so I actually bench myself, <laughs> bench myself against that and think, I haven't had to hide in the loo. <laughs> yes. Is, is that a positive it's, thing? It's, yeah. For now. No so, loo hiding. As Annabelle would say. Yes. But so it sounds like a good old fashioned sort of rage to riches story. But what was, uh, it wasn't easy though. It hasn't been easy. I mean, you, I mean, uh, I, I do, seem do to get know. the impression that you, as you were building your business, everything else sort of fell apart. I mean, your marriage fell apart. You lost that big house, I think. Is that right? And then you yeah, had some illness yeah. to deal with. Do you want to just talk us through how that stuff all exploded at once? I, I actually had to laugh at myself about this because I think I sound like a sort of kind of, you know, everything went to hell in a handbasket. And yet, you know, it sounds sort of like a cheesy novel. But I mean, I had my marriage was not great we got divorced in the process of that we actually lost the house and I had enough money to pay the rent on um, our home for a year with two small girls living with me and I then very quickly the, the year I got divorced actually I was actually in my husband took me to court which was sweet um, <laughs> and I was in the courtroom and I just thought you know I'm in so much pain this has got to stop I've got to go and see a doctor but, you know, it's the last thing you think about. I was trying to raise money. We just launched in Boots. We just launched in Waitrose. I was just trying to sign up some new investors. It was all happening. And then the next thing I know, I'm in hospital having a two kilo tumour removed, uh, which was actually a fibroid that grew out of my womb. I mean, I get the sick bucket out. Grew out of my womb and it wrapped itself around my intestines and my appendix. Mm. And because I was busy and because I was busy I didn't do anything about it until I could, literally couldn't walk I was in so much pain I mean there's quite and a lot of stuff isn't there in the press about neither women nor doctors taking female pain seriously I mean yeah how much pain must you have been in and for how long it must have been for about six eight months when I got to the gynecologist who removed it he said that was one of the most frightening operations I've ever done you probably had about 10 days and that thing would have burst and if you'd have gone to A&E they'd have taken everything on it so it would have been colostomy bag and 
your ostomy bag and, you know, not, and, and I think I was, what, 44 at the time, which is not, you know, how you want to live your life. And and he said, but knowing you, you'd have taken two paracetamol and gone to bed and you just wouldn't have woken up. So that should have been a kick up the arse for me to take it seriously. And then, of course, two years later, I had to have an emergency hysterectomy because um, in, in his words, you've got a pretty disgusting womb, Mrs. Johnson. <laughs> I mean, it's a bit like that's the worst fung- nail fungal infection I've ever seen. You've got a pretty disgusting womb, Mrs. Johnson. So that was hoiked out. But the, and the month before, I'd had um, cancerous cells in my um, cervix. And so I went to this hotel, actually. No, this is the fact I keep calling it a hotel, hospital hospital on Marylebone. Marylebone. You know, some women just, women sometimes say, oh, you know, I don't want to be really ill, but just a quiet hospital bed for a few days does sound nice. So I can understand why when you're working on all cylinders, you've got two small kids and investors (laughs) nipping at your heels. You think that a hospital sounds like a hotel. I know, but honestly, they had warm prissy breads and homemade hummus. (laughs) I mean, it's just ingrained in my brain. The trouble is, when I had my emergency hysterectomy, and by this stage I was with my gorgeous boyfriend, Jonathan, who was with me, and and, and my guy went up and said, don't worry, it's gone incredibly well. It's about 7.30 in the evening. It's gone incredibly well. You know, she'll be as right as rain. She'll be up in a minute. Well, I didn't come up for another four hours because I was one in... 300,000 women who reacted to the gas that they put in when they do keyhole. And so I'd gone down to five beats a minute. Heartbeats? Yes. I love it. You say five beats a minute. You suddenly sound like a sort of very posh DJ. (laughs) I mean, it's it's five beats a minute even alive. I mean, only just. Well, it's kind of, I mean, I got quite low blood pressure anyhow, but he kept on hitting my feet trying to wake me up. Like, will you stop it? Stop hitting my feet. I'm having a rest for fuck's sake. (laughs) man. And poor Jonathan, when I eventually was wheeled up, and I mean, this is a lot about our relationship there. I mean, he's completely fraught. And he said to the um, anaesthetist what's been going on. And he told him. And Jonathan said, my God, you look like a gargoyle, though. And he said to the anaesthetist, is it wrong if I take a photograph of her and post it on Facebook? And apparently I went, yes. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, what that has taught me about, and I had to say, I went to the gastroenterologist yesterday to, because I've still got a bit of pain, not in my bits and pieces, but sort of in my tummy, and I just thought that might be a bit of scar tissue from all of the shenanigans that went on before. So I was proactive yesterday well done. and went in to see this charming bum man, I suppose, um, <laughs> who is going to stick a camera up my bum <laughs> and have a look around. But he also said, when we all get into our 50s, we should all go and have a coloscopy. Colos- colos- Colonoscopy. Because it's, you know, again, it's checking up on our health. Yeah. Yeah, and how making sure it, there's nothing untoward. How long has you have you had this pain though before you actually went to see the bum man? Probably since my early twenties. <laughs> but <I> mean... <laughs> so well done, self care there, Joanna. Yeah, Thanks. Yeah, I'm all over it. No, actually, it, it started getting a little bit more sore about six months ago. So I okay. think that's pretty bloody good. Okay, for me, well done. Actually. Yeah, yeah, no medal. Yeah, definitely. I'm so on it, all over it. So you're building this brand, and you've got investors, you know, chasing you. You've got retailers chasing you. You've got internal stakeholders chasing you, and you have to find the time to be ill. Yeah, I mean, I do recall doing the final draft agreements for our shareholders' agreements on my hospital bed at three o'clock in the morning. 
because I thought if I don't do it now, I'm not sure when I will get it done. And my word, do you know my worst challenge about that? And the only time I think I can remember feeling sorry for myself in a very long time was when I didn't know who was going to pick me up because when I'd gone in for the tumour operation, he said, oh, it's going to be easy peasy, be in and out in a day. And of course I wasn't and I was there for about three days. And I just thought my children were at home and I thought, who's going to pick me up? Mm. And then I felt really sorry for myself and I thought, yeah. Christ, because I'm not one of those people that would phone somebody up and say, do you mind picking me up from London and driving me down Hampshire? And it wasn't that I didn't have friends, it's that I just didn't want to impose on anyone. Yeah, we do that. And that's pathetic yeah. too. I was at, I was at a, a thing with a load of Ukrainian refugee women this week and one great friend of mine who's Ukrainian said to them all, you must ask for help because... The English is so bad about it, but if somebody if somebody asks somebody who's British for help, they will inevitably get it. But we are totally crap about asking for help, particularly mums, I think, because we don't want to be judged as being, you know, I didn't want to be judged as a woman who's, oh, well, you see, she's running her own business and she doesn't have time for children. And of course, there's nobody to pick her up from hospital because she's so busy and she always blanks us in the car park at the playground or whatever. And it's because my mind is thinking, shit, shall I have that in blue or pink? And isn't that the right fragrance? And Christ, I haven't found the buyer back from Tesco's. And so it's all kind of, you know, I just, I just, internally, I was just thinking I'm so inadequate. I'm so being judged by everyone. I'll just, you know, so that was my, that was my moment of self-pity. Who picked you up, Joanna? Um, Actually, a girlfriend of mine, lovely Emma. Um, So at this time, am I right in thinking that your mood had started to change? very, very much for the worst. And I assume you just either didn't notice or thought that you were just under a lot of pressure, but you described yourself to me. I can't remember the words you used. What were they? You were behaving like a... Ditch pig from hell. ditch pig from hell. (laughs) I want to know what a ditch pig is. I'm not sure, but I just love the expression. I love the expression. I mean, we've all been there. Fearsome identification. What was your mood like? What was your behaviour like at this point? You're in your mid-40s. What's going on? Oh, my God. I mean, such a short fuse. Such a short fuse. Anything would set me off. I could literally feel it's like there was a flame going up inside my brain, from the back of my brain to the top of my brain. And if I didn't open my mouth and shout, my brain would explode. And I hadn't realised, I'd been perimenopausal since I was 40, but I didn't know anything about it. And I remember one of my girlfriends saying, oh, I've got patches. And I thought, what are you talking about? And I think it was at a time in my life where I just, my head was so full with work, children, work, children, work, children, that I didn't actually think about me, clearly. You know, I, I didn't spend a moment thinking about me. And that was my fatal error. And I would have these Jekyll and Hyde moments where I felt a couple of days a month, I felt like I was looking down on myself and I was this person I didn't recognise, I didn't understand... I thought, God, my poor children, they, I am such an awful parent. And I actually took myself off to go and see a psychiatrist. And I said, I think I'm going mad. And you know, everyone I spoke to, because I spoke to my GP, I spoke to my gynecologist, I spoke to the psychiatrist, and they all said, oh, it's stress. You're running a business, it's stress. It wasn't fucking stress. It was the menopause. It was the menopause. And it wasn't until my chiropractor... And maybe I obviously just said something and he said, have you, have you ever heard of the hormone equilibrium? 
and Dr. Mandy, and I obviously responded, what are you talking about? <laughs> and and he sent me off. He recommended I go and see this woman. I went to see Dr. Mandy down at the Candover Clinic in Basingstoke, and she has changed my life. She sat there for an hour and a half talking to me about female hormones. She's German. You know, this is, this is, this, this is meat and drink to them. You know, you go and start seeing somebody about your women's issues from the age of 16, Mm. And you stay with them for the whole of your days. You talk about sex with them. Is it painful? Are you enjoying it? You know, whereas here we just snigger behind our hands and hope nobody sees us. And and she talked me through and she put me on HRT and it has been life-changing for me. And wish someone had just grabbed me. Somebody suggested I go a couple of years before on bio-identical hormones, which are totally unregulated, cost an absolute fortune, and I think they made me a thousand times worse. This is all about, you know, it's very simple. It's science, isn't it? You're losing estrogen in your body. You know, I know this from a skincare specialist. It means that your skin starts getting saggy because no estrogen equals no collagen. Um, you are, you know, you need testosterone. Um, women need testosterone, and you need progesterone as well. And you balance all the three out, and suddenly you're happy, happy, happy. And I mean, how old were you when you um, when you started taking HRT? I was forty nine, I think. And how long had it been going uh, on for? Do you I, think I had I'd had I'd had it for nine years. Wow. I had been perimenopausal for nine years. And then even when I had my hysterectomy, nobody spoke well, to me about I was going to say, because surely, surely the hysterectomy would have kind of put you into menopause. And so therefore you should have been on hormone replacement straight away. No one spoke to me about it at all. And I didn't know, I didn't know enough. Mm. I, did, I genuinely didn't. I, I mean, it sounds so naive, but I didn't really know about it because nobody talks about the menopause. It's only literally in the last couple of years that people have been talking about it. And I can tell you, I really struggled. I think my co-workers would have, on occasion, lock me up in a cupboard and just chuck the key away and set fire to the building. <laughs> and my children, you know, this is the thing. You know, it's this is it affects everyone in the food chain. Mm. Because, every, you know, it really does affect everyone in the food train. I mean, Jonathan, bless him, is still with me. He's got the patience of a bloody saint. I was an absolute angel. My girls now know more about menopause than is probably healthy. Um, and will come to me and say, I think she's menopausal, mum. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and and I'll say, sort of... right. But all, I, I still hear all my friends who are saying, gosh, you know, yes, I've been diagnosed with depression. And I just, I just send them. I just send them. I think people tea. still like to believe that menopause happens to other people at 55. Yeah. And it doesn't. I had my first hot flush when I was 40. Mm. Do you think you would have been able to negotiate this very punchy sale of your business for this, you know, big chunk of money if you hadn't been so clear headed as a result of the HRT? Oh, God, I think, you know, that's a brilliant question. I reckon it could have broken me doing this. And I think, but I was lucky because part of how going on the HRT made me realise that I didn't want to run the business anymore. It made me realise that I had to pass things on to other people. My girls were teenagers. I mean, they need you a thousand times more than they do when they're little. And mum got Alzheimer's and dementia, God, was diagnosed with. So suddenly my cup really did runneth over. 
And so I had brought in a CEO to, to run the business and he brought in his own team to run it. And he was instrumental in allowing me to work on selling the business or what we were trying to do, in fact, was to raise some money. And then um, it became a sale. Um, and actually, it was the best thing that could have happened to me because my life at that stage was so chock-a-block. And I think as, as somebody who'd been doing this literally 24-7 for 12 years, I was knackered. Yeah. I was on my chin straps and I could have slept for a decade did you feel um, loss and grief around selling your baby business? I felt a bit sad, but it's interesting. When I wrote the investment memorandum, say that this is your sort of glossy book of words that you're sort of tempting people with when you put your business up for sale, I had talked about Child's Farm being a her, and I'd talked about the fact she was, she was ready to go to secondary school. She was, you know, 12 years old, She'd done her thing. She needed to increase her learning. She needed to sort of sail across the choppy seas and go and explore the world. And she needed new parents to guide her and take her through that process because I'd done my bit. So I'd sort of come to terms with it. When I got their first offer, which was to buy it, I was in America at our distributors there. And I took myself off with actually poor Scott. And I just burst into tears and I said, I don't think I'm ready to sell my business. And then actually, I because I'm quite commercial, I thought, actually, you fucking are. God, think of the cash. <laughs> and, but, you know, at the same time, you know, I have I had no not real pressure from my shareholders, but some of them had been with me for, you know, nine years. I had my girls, I had my mum. And, you know, the only thing that I worried about was my staff. That's all I worried about because I know I probably didn't show it, but I cared more about them than they will ever know. And the sleepless nights I had when we were short of cash about how I was going to pay them. What were the really big surprises about building a business, it turning out to be very successful, selling it for a load of money? What were the surprises to you at the other end, as it were? Do you know, all the way through, the biggest surprise the whole way through is what people used to say about the products. And we would have... You know, in the in the olden days when we had a um, answer machine, I would listen to messages when I came in the morning and people would phone up and say, we just wanted to leave you some feedback about your baby moisturiser. You know, we saw it in the Daily Mail and we thought we'd get some. And I tried on my daughter and she's had chronic eczema for the last seven years. And within 24 hours, my skin is cured and it's amazing and I don't know what to say. And I'm, I'm sorry I'm crying, but it's so emotional. And I would sit there in tears. Yeah, I'm in nearly in tears. And and when the chap phoned me up and he and, and I would always take the calls and he phoned me up and he said, I've got to tell you, I've had I've had really bad psoriasis on my hands for many, many years. And uh, last night I went to the pub and I put my hand in someone else's crisp packet to have a crisp. And it's the first time I've been able to do that pretty much all my life because normally a bit of my skin would fall off. But since I've used your baby moisturizer. <laughs> I can steal Chris with impunity. <laughs> the things that you have achieved, Joanna. Yeah, but that, do you know that makes me proud? It makes no, me so it does, yeah. Helping people. I want to go to my little old lady's rocking chair and say, I've done something. I've done something that's actually helped people. What have you done? What are you doing now? 
I, I am an ambassador for Child's Farm. And then so I'm doing some great stuff representing female founders, which I'm loving. And I mentioned earlier, our mutual friend Sahar, Hashimi and Buy Women Built. This is a great bunch of female founded women who've been brought together as a community. And I was very isolated when I did this, mainly because I had no time, but I didn't know any other female founders. And I've met hundreds in the last 12 months and I'm in a position to actually help them, whether that's just giving them guidance or advice or in some instances, investing in their businesses. And so, I mean, it's been a busy week this week with International Women's Day and I've been uphill down Dale meeting and talking and jumping up and down with all sorts of people about how important it is to understand that, you know, women have a, it, it, it is a fucking nightmare being a woman and running a business. It is unbelievable trying to raise money. I, I mean, it is full of misogyny and it's full of being patronised. And the women that do it are made of stern stuff. And these are, these are women, 64% of the consumer wealth in this world is in the hands of women. Because we buy shit and we buy it for our whole families. So just listen to women. I always say, if you don't understand your consumer and you don't know how your consumer works, then you've got a real problem. And, you know, I was a mum selling products to mums for their children. I know, with a child with eczema, I know exactly what they've gone through. It's very hard to empathise with that. This is why so many women, 99% of them, create these brands because they have this need. And social media as well. I don't need to be told by some 20-something what I need to think or do or whatever. And certainly not in abbreviated English that I simply don't understand. <laughs> and, and not use abbreviations which don't make the slightest bit of sense to me. And it's this sort of, it's not the grey pound, it's the sort of, it's our pound is super valuable. And I think we are, we tend to be ignored. I think a lot of VC money is male I got, I know these two brilliant girls who run, I'm um, talking about your sexual health um, brand, another one called Hanks. They do condoms for women. It's They're done at the pH of a women's for Juju. And they have been asked in VC meetings to show the guys how to put these condoms on. They've also been asked, why do you two girls need condoms? You know, one of them is a former investment banker. The other one's a gynecologist. I mean, what what planet? And actually, I went to I went to a lovely lunch yesterday, hosted by Lucy Cleland, a country and townhouse, full of gorgeous, gorgeous people. And um, it was at the Harry Hotel in London. And the manager of the hotel stood up right at the beginning. You know, this one chat in front of a room full of women, and he said, "I've got a seventeen-year-old daughter, and it's only now I realise how important International Women's Day is." And I've seen some of the stuff that's gone out there, which is so shitty about it. But in fact, this is a celebration and I worry about my daughter. I worry about her, you know, her health, whether she's going to be harmed in the streets, her opportunities to succeed in business because she's hindered by something which in effect is a pair of tits and a vagina. And mm. I actually have just read Lessons in Chemistry, which is about a, a female chemist in the 1960s. Every man, that and Invisible Women are the two books that every single man should read to understand what it's like to be a woman. I remind myself that when I was when I was born in 1970, my mother could not have a bank account in her own name. Yeah. And um, I got my first mortgage in 1989, and I think it was 1986 when women were allowed to have a mortgage in their own name. So this has all been in our lifetimes. And 
we've come a hell of a lot further. I mean, when I worked in investment banking, I was known as Toff Totty. And, you know, and I just took it on the chin, you know, it doesn't bother me. But it was done in a, you know, it was done in every single way that it was meant to be done. And I, I remember I did one massive deal and I got sent a text by the global head of equity saying, who did you fuck to get that deal through? <gasps> Fucking, ugh, she says. And, 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 you know, we are not nearly there. Why is 51% of the population treated like my muppets? Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm not a feminist. You are a feminist. Uh, which, yes, you are. Well, feminist, no, a I, feminism, it got, yes, you are. It got a bad yeah. rap yeah. when we were kids. Uh, if you believe in equal opportunities for, for all, you're a feminist. Yeah, I agree. You're, so you're I, think, I, I think now's the time to own that, actually. I don't think there's any shame around that. Yeah, well, OK, I'm a feminist. Yes, she said but it, she said you're it again. You're right, though. When we were kids, we were told, if you're a feminist, you were sort of bribe-burning, you had, you know, your yeah. lady garden would be down to your knees and... Granola in your teeth, you know, whatever, in your yeah, moustache or yeah. whatever. And, you know, hair's coming out of your nose. Yeah. But... It is, yeah, okay, I'm proud. I've come out. I'm a feminist. Thank oh, my you. goodness. This is a moment <gasps> that's happened out. on the podcast. Very proud Thank of you. you. Thank you for coming and telling us your story. Thank you for telling us about your fungal nails. Thank you for everything. Yeah, and yeah, really uh, and I, I think we'll see you back here soon because I think there's going to be more to say. It's really Thank exciting. you so much. Thank you for we having me. We salute you, Joanna Jackson. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. We, we are, are feminists. feminists. Have a good Woo-hoo. week, everybody. Stay tuned because we'll be having a chat with one of the founders of WomenWise, the lovely Sarah Williamson, next. Sarah, thank you for coming to talk to us. The menopause, which is either fine or a nightmare or somewhere in between. I mean, why did you decide in response to that to set up WomenWise? In 2019, I visited some university friends and they were really struggling with their menopause. And these kind of nightmare stories came out of leaving husbands, leaving jobs, but it it's a very painful experience for those people. And so I started to do what I love, which is a deep dive into the why. Because for me, menopause is a natural transition. And so why is it so problematic now? So we were looking at the underlying causes. So what should happen is your adrenal glands take over, making background levels of sex hormones. But for many modern women, that's not happening. And then they're having this really shocking kind of experience where it's quite like hitting a brick wall for some of them. Yeah, I mean, 50 symptoms or more sometimes, some that we would never instinctively associate with menopause. No, and some of them, they turn up at menopause, but they're not actually hormone-related symptoms. They turn up as other things that masquerade. So if you've had a slow thyroid or hypothyroid, that really masquerades as menopause symptoms. Thinning hair, fatigue, tiredness, brain fog. Same with iron. There's another number of other things. And the hormones are kind of masking what's going on. And then as they drop away, you're really noticing these things come into play. And also because the way women are, we tend to think, okay, yeah, I feel a bit shit, but of course I do. I feel a bit bad. Of course I do. I'm tired, but it's not surprising given how much I do. And so we tend to leave everything until like we're sort of, you know, if we were a car, we'd be sort of grinding to a halt on the side of the motorway going, I cannot move anymore. And I describe it as, so people are hanging on by their fingernails. So they're doing, doing all the plates, we prioritise everybody else, we're trying to work, we're trying to go out, play hard, look after the kids, look after parents, doing all the things that we do at this time. And we've always, often most of us have been the backstop in that kind of setup. And we, we went down the priority list and suddenly we stopped coping. 
So we're getting mm. away with it, getting away with it. We know we're frazzled and all the rest of it. And then this menopause hits and it's suddenly, and it can be really striking for some people. Like, can't get out of bed. What gap does woman-wise fill? In the, what did you feel that women were really missing out on in the medical or you know, even alternative universes? Yeah, so we sort of work in what we call the functional medicine space and we're looking at optimising things. But I love that menopause is being talked about. I mean, you cannot turn a page or turn on the radio or anywhere else and not hear about menopause. But currently, I think it's something that you said, is that the conversation is all about menopause, but the only answer is HRT. Now, HRT is only used for a small percentage of women. I think even now, despite all the fanfare, it's only up to 25% of women take it only half of those find a significant improvement. And the rest of the women aren't taking it or can't take it because of medical considerations or don't want to take it. And there are so many other levers to pull. And because it is a natural transition, if we can restore that underlying health, it should smooth it. So the HRT can be icing on a cake for some women and they feel amazing. But for other women who don't want to take it, they've still got loads of levers to pull. They do not have to kind of grit and suffer. So that's what we thought we'd step into that space. And so it's great that it's been talked about, but I'd really like it to be talked about in the round where HRT is part of a solution or an offering of solutions rather than the solution. Along with nutrition, supplementation, Absolutely. all those kind of, all that so good stuff. So we look under the bonnet, we look at optimising those things. So even if you come back within normal medical range, we're looking at pulling you towards the optimum. So for example, iron has a really wide natural range all the way from 14 up to high, in the high hundreds. And we're looking to optimise women. And most women don't feel terrific until they're 80, 90, 100 on that measurement. So we're looking at pulling you towards optimal. We'd also flag up if it comes outside medical range as well. And then we use supplements. Secondly, dietary change has to be first. No supplement is a magic pill, but top up with supplements where needed. Look at exercise, stress management, all of those techniques that help you get a more balanced um, recovery and getting you sleeping better, getting you functioning better, getting your blood glucose better. All of those things make such a significant difference to how you feel. So and nuts and bolts, what happens? You go onto your website, you order a kit and the box appears and asks you to produce, well, to my mind, quite a lot of blood <laughs> and drip it into a little thing. Quite a lot of peeing that then goes in the freezer, um, other bits and pieces, and then it goes back and, and, and gets analysed by your labs. Yeah, it? so what we do, we partner with some great labs. So, for example, the urine test that you talk about involving the peeing, there's only a couple of labs that do the in-depth test that we use because we really need to know those underlying metabolites to get a good picture. Um, so, yes, there is quite a lot of peeing. Um, but so we use all those tests, plus you're doing it online in depth questionnaire. So we get a picture of your symptoms around, your health history and everything else. And that allows us to build a picture and find out what will work for you. Some of the tests are genetic. So once you've signed up, you get to do a little swab in your mouth and then we get certain genes that tell us how your brain chemistry works, how well you clear estrogen from your system so that if you do want to take HRT, we can make sure that you're able to clear that really well and support those pathways. So it's sort of giving you a rounded support and a lot of information which comes, as I think you guys are beginning to find out, in quite a detailed report, which gives you action steps to take. You don't have to pull all the levers at once. You can try one and then add another and another till you get to a really sweet spot of health. We try and make the food really balanced so that you 
It's still part of your day-to-day -day life. And if we wanted something that women could do that felt like they were doing something positive for them, so we tried to make it look much less medical, much less dramatic, give, make it look like you're doing something positive for yourself. Because I think, fundamentally, I think we start to learn at this stage that if you're not looking after yourself, you can't actually look after everybody else. Obviously, I'm deeply suspicious of the fact that my report says that caffeine is making me jittery. I mean, like, how is that possible? Well, you had a fabulous combination of you're a fast clearer but it also makes you jittery. So there's a kind of sweet on, spot to be had there. Yeah. On the day that you had to do all the peeing, when you're not meant to have caffeine, you didn't have any cups of tea. Emily's not allowed coffee, listeners, by the way. She had it once and she became such a swivel-eyed lunatic that I told her she was never allowed to drink it again. And she's so obedient, she didn't. But on that day when you weren't allowed tea, you basically went into a coma. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I was literally, I, it was like I had no bones. It was like you had no bones. You had you were an invertebrate sitting at the desk, <laughs> unable to produce anything. Because you hadn't had how many cups to your day? Seven? Seven. 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 So yeah, for many people, there is an adaptation. You can't go from seven to zero very comfortably. And interestingly, it tells you why you became <laughs> swivel-eyed on caffeine is because you get that jitteriness. So tea has something called theanine in, which adds the calming in. So it's much less challenging so that works on a receptor in the brain that calms so it's less challenging tea um, but you know there may be a sweet spot of maybe three to four teas for you that work perfectly. What sort of response have you had from the people that you've been working with? We've had some amazing responses actually I mean for me it's my great pleasure is like really helping women feel like they're back in control of what they're doing so one of our earlier uh, women we've run through they had a very burnt out what I call a burnt out adrenal pattern so that would be very flat and very slow kind of metabolizing of cortisol. And we did a lot of research to find which supplements will help her start functioning better. And so that helped her brain communicate properly with her adrenals. And she's now come back with a much more normal pattern and therefore much more capable of running her day-to-day -day life. Whereas before she literally, she saw the flat lines come back. She was like, that's how I feel. Um, mm. And so that's really magnificent. And be able to use something natural to bring someone back from that rather than them having to sort of go and live in an ashram to recover is amazing. <laughs> yeah, but also you're right, the narrative is slightly like, give me the good stuff, which we all think is HRT. And, and you know, there is another way. There is another or way. An additional way. Additional way. And for some women, if HRT is your answer, you're not looking for us. We're not, we're not for you because you don't need us. You're feeling fabulous. You're not looking for solutions. Mm. Here it's for women who use the HRT and it's just a bit blah, or sometimes even worse, they just have side effects. And or for women who don't want to or can't use HRT, there's just nothing talked about. They feel a bit hard done by. So this is a you know an option to help bring back that fundamental health that means that we'll smooth that transition. So watch this space, listeners, because our tests are in. So when you see Emily scaling buildings <laughs> and me running triathlons, you're gonna know why. <laughs> so Sarah from WomanWise, thank you so much for coming to talk to us and huge congratulations. Thank that you very brilliant. much. And thank you for being part Thanks, of it. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you. Bye. This podcast was bravely brought to you by WomanWise. For once, it's all about you. You've been listening to Annabelle Rifkin and Emily McMeekin of The Middle. Our book, I'm Absolutely Fine, is out now. If you like what you hear, please rate, review and subscribe. <laughs>